Welcome to the podcast, The Objects That Made Us. I'm Amy Sim. In every episode of this podcast, I will be inviting a guest to share with us a personal object and the story behind it. These stories will offer glimpses of Singapore's past, weaving together a tapestry of our collective memories. Today we have Samandra with us. Thank you for coming to our show. I know you're a high school teacher. And in fact, we are in your school right now doing this interview. But I know that besides teaching, your other passion is cooking. What do you like to cook? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the show. I basically like to cook anything. It's actually one of my biggest hobbies. And I love entertaining people. And usually I'll cook a lot of people coming over and we'll cook for Christmas parties and other functions. And sometimes I also cook for the church, like either some Good Friday event or my mother's birthday and all that. So we sponsor some food for the church. Mm -hmm. And I hear Mm. that you like to cook for a lot of people. How many people have you ever cooked for? (laughs) I think the largest is about 150 to 200. And all by yourself with no help? No help. Lately, my helper helps me to do some of the cutting and the cleaning up. But before that, it was all myself. Wow, that's amazing. So the object that you're going to share with us today must be something to do with cooking, I think. Yes, this is actually a copper steamer. It's quite a special steamer because nowadays they don't make it in copper anymore. They have all this Teflon-coated stainless steel. But this is a very old steamer. It's made from copper and it's designed quite different from the current ones. Right, I can see that it's quite round in shape and black in colour. I don't know whether it's originally black, so I guess it's been used many times. I can see two layers to it, two steamer plates. Each plate has about three semicircles and each semicircle has like little tiny holes that I guess is used for steaming. Can you describe a little bit what this is and what it is used for? Okay, this uh, is used for steaming this breakfast item called Eatly's. They're very famous in South India and also in Singapore. Eaten mostly for breakfast and it's eaten with some coconut chutneys or dal. And this one, it looks very dark, but actually in its heydays, it would have been very shiny and, you know, the copper tarnishes over time and it's not been polished. And the unique holes in the center of the mold, it's quite different from the new ones because the new ones don't have these tiny holes because... When you pour the batter into steam, for these old ones, you have to put like a thin cotton cloth over the pan before you can pour the batter in. If not, it's going to leak. But it's a lot of work. And the current ones, what they do is they do not have the holes in the middle so that you can just pour the batter directly into those molds. But somehow I feel that the old ones steam better because I think with the tiny holes at the bottom, the steam really gets through and you get much softer idlis. So this steamer belongs to your mom, is that right? Yes, actually she brought it over from India when she got married. So in this Indian tradition, the women have to give a dowry to the groom. The rich people give a lot of gold, money and lots of things. But I think my parents were not very well off. So I think all my mom got for her dowry was this idli pot. Because brass at the time, I think, was quite valuable. And I think she got one gold chain. 
So your mom has to give dowry to your dad, is that right? Because yes. it's not like in Chinese custom, it's the other way around. Yes, it's the other way around for the Indians. And I think it has always been like, my father used to bring it up in his little quarrels with my mom, you know. When he has some fights with her, he'll say, yeah, you only came with such a poor dowry of a steamer pot. They were always bickering over that. Mm, right. Yeah. Can you tell us, how do you make idli? And did your mom used to make it for all of you? Yes, it was one of our favorite breakfasts and quite a popular one and I think also a very affordable one because there's just basically three or four ingredients. It's rice, white lentils. These are the two main ingredients which they soak overnight with a spoonful of fenugreek. And I think when they're going to blend it in the morning, they will add like a handful of cooked rice to ferment the batter. And that's it. They just blend it and leave it for like six hours to ferment and we're ready to steam. Wow, sounds quite delicious. (laughs) Can you just share with us how your parents met and, you know, I guess they got married in Singapore. Can you tell us a little bit about that? They didn't meet in Singapore. My father actually came over to Singapore way earlier than her. It was he came here when he was like 15 years old. Well, but somehow on the passport, they had him stated as 18 as a legal age to come. So they all came here at a very, very young age and he used to tell us that he had such a difficult time in the beginning just to find job and to find lodging and he found work in cigar factory. So he used to roll cigars and I think later on in life he learned how to drive and he worked as a driver and he became a taxi driver. So he got a lot of independence from working as a freelance taxi driver. And I think when he earned enough money, he went back to India to look for a wife in the same village. And I think the village people all know each other. And I think he met my mom through like a matchmaker. And I think my mom said she only saw him once. And after that, the next time she saw him was on the wedding day. So it was like a match made wedding. And then after they got married, he went to Singapore. And for a few years later, then my mom arrived in Singapore. Right. And she came with the steamer as her diary. Yes. (laughs) So can you tell us why you decide to choose the steamer as the object to share with us today? Why is this object so meaningful for you? My mom came here in 1966. She said that Singapore had just celebrated their first national day. That's why I remember 66. So the pot is probably more than at least 60 years old. And I think it's not just the age, but I think this pot has got a lot of sentimental value because my father passed away at a very young age. I think he was just about 50 plus, maybe because of the chain smoking from the cigar factory. I think after he passed away, my mom had a hard time making ends meet because she came from India. She did not speak any of the local languages. She did not have a job. She did not know how to get around Singapore. And all she did was stay at home and was a housewife. So when my father died and she didn't know how to feed us. So I think this idli pot came in handy because she knew how to make good idlis. And so she decided to make at least and sell them for breakfast. Did you help her? Oh, yes. I was a delivery boy, you know. So I would just got around because my father was a taxi driver. is quite well known in the community. Word got around that my mom was trying to sell these idlis in the morning. So we used to get quite a bit of orders. 
And my mom would get up very early in the morning to steam these idlis and I would deliver them around the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And you had to bring the idli to your neighbors and were you excited during that time? Were you happy with this little job that you have? Do you feel proud that you are helping your mom to get the family along? You know, my mom used to apologize to me. You know, she would say, oh, I'm so sorry I'm making you do this. You know, I have to deliver this in the morning before you go to school. But actually, I was not upset about it. I was, in fact, quite happy to do it because, you know, when I went around, you know, to send these, at least people would like praise me, you know, say, hey, good boy, helping your mom, you know. I liked it and collecting the money and bringing back to my mom. It kind of made me happy. Mm-hmm. And did you feel like the kind of community spirit was stronger at that point? And there's a lot of help you got from your neighbors and friends living nearby? Yes, I think there was no handphones, but people were rather connected at the time. I think we always knew each other. We went to each other's house to play. So the community spirit was quite strong. And when they knew that my mom was doing this to make ends meet, they were very willing to support. So it was quite nice, you know, to the kind of community spirit we had. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up some cooking skills from your mom? My mom didn't really teach me any cooking, but I learned from observing and I got into it. I think the cooking was not something that I really wanted to pick up, but it's a lot to do with necessity because eventually my mom found a job and she went up to work as a school attendant. Sometimes she did a second job washing dishes in a restaurant. So she was absent a lot of the time. So when we came back from school, we wouldn't have anything to eat. We have to wait for my mom to come back from work and make something. And so out of necessity, I started cooking because my sisters were not interested in cooking at all. But I was. So I started making simple things at home by observing my mom. And there was no internet, right? So we asked friends, we asked friends' moms, some tips and all that. So I used to find out about these things and just experiment. Mm-hmm. At what age did you start cooking? Oh, that was about nine or ten. Wow. So simple things at nine, ten, like, you know, just making some dal or frying eggs or making sardines, you know, it's just plain necessity. Right. So totally self-taught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> In Indian families, usually who are the ones cooking? Would it be the men or the women? Most of the time it is the women. It's the gender roles were quite uh, pronounced. And especially my father was a very traditional person. He wouldn't have approved of me cooking. (laughs) So even when I used to help my mom in the kitchen, he would like tell my mom, oh, why is he here? Why are you making him do all these things? You know, he's a boy. Get the girls in to help, you know. So he would not really approve of it, I think, if he was alive. But for me, it gave me a lot of joy, you know, to make the food. And when people said the food was nice and, you know, I felt happy. Right. And so your mom didn't have a problem with you cooking, No, she didn't. I think she was happy that I was around to help, but she was not happy about some other things. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was also into dancing. Even in primary school and secondary school, I was in the dance CCA. And when she found out about that, she was very resistant to that. But surprisingly, she was okay with the cooking part because I think that really came as part of our necessity. Mm -hmm. What kind of dance is it? Classical Indian dance, Bharatanatyam. And we also did folk dances in schools, village dances, all kinds of dances, Indian dance. And she disapproved of you dancing. Was that because of gender roles or other reasons? 
I think partly gender roles. She felt that dancing was not for boys. But I think the other reason is also her religious conviction, because after my father passed on, we had a lot of issues financially, and also emotionally. I think she was very depressed. She went into a very quite a long depression, and even she became suicidal at certain points in her life. And there were also a few instances where she tried to kill us. So I think this is when some people from the church. Came in and then she found new faith in Christianity, but nobody actually forced us to convert. They just came in to help, and I think the help was very welcomed. And then, of course, there's a lot of relatives and friends of my mom who criticized us that said that oh, we gave up our religion because of biscuits and milk powder. But the reality was such that at that point, nobody was helping us, and these were the only people who came in to help. And they didn't preach or told us to convert, but at that time, my mom, I think, just found new conviction because she had lost faith in what she had believed in earlier. I think we kids, we just followed her, you know, to church, and then we converted, but we didn't know what was happening. It was only much later in life that we found God on a more personal level. So I think that religious conviction was also stopping her trying to put a stop to my dancing because. If you know, Indian culture and religion are very much intertwined, so it's quite difficult to separate the two. So, but to me, it's just an art form. You know, I don't see it as religious. But to my mom, she does see it as religious, and even certain symbols that we use, like the red dot on the forehead, the anklets, which is supposed to be an ornament of Shiva. So she found issues with all these things. So she was quite strongly against it. <laughs> Right, right. And did she eventually come round to you dancing? And did she come to watch you dance ever? Quite long, you know. There was the storming period, you know. There was quite a lot of storming period, and she even tried to bring in people from the church to convince me to give it up. But for me, it was a personal journey with the arts, and I refused to let go. But I think eventually, there's one day when I invited her. Usually, I will invite her, and she'll say no, or she'll just ignore me. But that one particular day, she decided to say, "Okay, I'll come." So I was quite surprised. So she came, and I think she was quite pleasantly surprised. And after that, she came for all the shows. Even if I don't invite her, she'll invite herself, and she was quite a fan of the dance. So I think after that, things became a bit more smooth and calm, and we could kind of like negotiate things. Great, yeah, I'm really happy to hear that, and I'm glad to hear that、uh, she starts to appreciate your passion for dancing, for cooking, and the changes in the gender roles. I think I find that really interesting over time. And what about her own identity? How does she feel about her own identity? Because you said that when your father passed away, she, your mum,、mm. I think besides Tamil, she couldn't speak other like Malay or Mandarin or English,、mm. and you know she didn't quite know what to do. And what about now? Do you see her? Herself as a Singaporean or Tamil, or you know, what kind of identity does she associate herself with? At one point in time, she talked a lot about going back to India. I think that came a lot from my father because he never saw himself as a Singaporean. So whatever money that he earned here, he never kept anything here. He never wanted to buy a house here. Whatever money he earned, he brought it back to India and he bought a land and a house in India. And his plan was to okay when the time is right we'll all go back. 
But my mom, initially, though she was with him, I think after his passing, I think she became more Singaporean. So she was very appreciative of the government's efforts of Singapore because when we all went through schooling, they helped us a lot. Not only the religious organizations, the government, we had free textbooks, we had bursaries, we had pocket money fund. And my mom didn't really had to worry about the schooling part. So I think at one point in time, she became very grateful to the government. And I think that's the time her identity changed to being more of a Singaporean. That's interesting. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing with us, I think, this Italy pot. It's a symbol of so many different memories and faces of your life and your family. And I think that's incredibly wonderful. Do you want to leave us with some final words about what this Italy pot mean to you? I think even though the childhood days were not easy, especially after my father's passing, whether it be financially or emotionally, we were all going through a very bad time. But now that you think about it, you still remember those days a very joyful, some happy moments and uh, very fond memories of, you know, how we managed to tie that period through. And that Italy pot somehow had a place in that story, you know. So it gave us some income, may not have been much, but it gave us some income when we needed it most. And our skills like cooking will come in handy when we need them. You know, my friends always ask me, why don't you quit teaching and start a restaurant or cook professionally, which because you enjoy that. So I said, maybe not now. I don't know whether in the future, but we have that skill. I think it's important for everybody or anybody to develop some skills which may come in handy. Maybe not now, but some point in your life, it will definitely come in useful. Yeah, so every time you look at the Idli pot, you can probably see the little boy walking up and down the HDB block <laughs> yes. to deliver the Idli cakes to the buyers, to the neighbours. Yes. Even my mom wanted to throw away the pot. She said that it's so old and it's troublesome to use. Just get a modern one with a Teflon coating and it's easy. And I said, no, I'm not throwing this away. You know? So it's still a symbol of our childhood memories. Thank you so much, Tamandra. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for sharing with us this wonderful pot and the stories yeah. and significance yeah. behind it. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. The Objects That Made Us is produced and hosted by Amy Sim and Yap Xiao Chong. Music and sound design by Mandrik Tan. Translated by Lim Wenwen and Lim Hui Sin. This podcast is made possible with the support of the National Heritage Board. Thank you for listening.